Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I live in Seattle, and I basically consider it my hometown at this point. My co-host, Tiffany Parks, lives abroad in Rome. She's been there now for over 15 years. And this show began in Rome when I moved abroad and lived there for just one year, on Tiffany's street. But we go way back. I met her on the school bus in sixth grade. If you're curious about moving abroad, or currently live abroad, or maybe you just absolutely love Italy, or love contemplating and exploring the big themes of life, well, you've come to the right place. Don't be afraid to dig around in the archives, even as far back as episode one. We're on a journey here, and you will not regret it. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, I don't know about you, Tiffany, but I have been looking at when I might get a vaccination, and it's looking like it will be a really long time. Oh, no. And in realizing that, I thought, I got to get out of the house. Except, as you know, you can't go anywhere, or you're not supposed to. <laughs> so, we're going to go today on another virtual journey Yes, to Rome, except this time, we're going to make it a l even more fun than our last virtual tour of Rome, because this is a tour of Rome with special guest stars. Yes, and when we say special, we mean very special. Very, very special. Yes, through the magic of radio, you might just be revisited by some of our guests from the past. Uh, I don't know what they're all doing in Rome right now, but we're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, those uh, those naughty pandemic travelers. But, you know, Rome has a certain uh, draw that sometimes you just can't resist. Right, and we're all going to go together. So cue the sound effects, cue Tiffany's tour guide knowledge, and let's all travel to Rome together and have a little adventure today. Katie, how long has it been since you have visited the Roman Forum? It has been mm, at least two years. And to be honest, until now, I always just overlooked the Roman Forum. I had never actually set foot down in the pit that is the Roman Forum. So this is my first time, really, being on the ground. Ah, so this is actually your first time in the actual... Oh, that is great. That is interesting to know. Well. It can be a little bit unpleasant in the summer to visit uh, the Forum. It's hot, it's dusty, but this time of year is really perfect. Yes, this time of year. Luckily, it's not raining today as it has been usually. Yes, we're so lucky. But we have this glorious sun shining today. And there's kind of two ways to visit the Forum. One way is to really go all out, either have a tour guide or an audio guide or a very good tour guide book and try to discover what everything is and try to, you know, learn the history of the things you're seeing. And that has its merits, trust me, as a tour guide myself. But another way to visit the forum is just to sort of wander and soak up the ancient atmosphere. 
what I try to do when I visit ancient sites sometimes is sort of step back in time, squint your eyes, imagine that you're seeing it all come to life and that you're back 2,000 years in the past. And how good are you at figuring out what things are around you when it's just a pile of rocks or a piece of a step or anything like that? To be honest, not very good. Um, I am not at all uh, an expert on ancient Rome. In fact, I, even when I was doing tours every day, I almost never gave tours of ancient Rome. It was something that I did only very rarely if there was a particular client who I had already given a tour to and they were requesting me to do a tour for them. Otherwise, I would never seek out clients for those ancient sites. I'd feel much more confident giving tours of the Vatican or you know, the Baroque sites in Rome or churches and things like that. So I am not at all an expert on ancient Rome. There are a few things in the Roman Forum that I just know by heart, like uh, the Basilica Julia and the Curia and the Temple of Saturn, the Temple of Vespasian. They're sort of like the major sites in the Roman Forum. But there's so much going on here. It's so difficult to remember everything. I think it would have to be someone who either studied that, like they're actually an archaeologist or a historian, and that's what they studied, or they're a tour guide who goes there regularly. There's not very many people here right now, obviously, winter (laughs) and a pandemic, but does that look like Mary Beard standing over there, the historian, author of SPQR, The History of Ancient Rome? Doesn't that look like her? I can't believe it. It looks exactly like her. Well, let's go closer. It seems like she's looking at something that's scratched into one of the steps of the forum. Let's see. Oh, it looks like it has some sort of funny saying. It reads, I'm no Italian scholar, but from what I can tell, it reads, hunting, bathing, gaming, laughing. That's living. Hmm. What's that one say? Wow, Katie, your Latin is good. I can't believe you can translate Latin so well. Thank you. Uh, let's see. I haven't, uh, I haven't read Latin in a while, but let's see if I can get this one. The board is a circus. Retire when you're beaten. You don't know how to play. Hey, Mary Beard, what are these? These are board games. What, what they are, they're not quite like the modern board game that you get at on a holiday on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving or whatever and you know, say, right, OK, we're going to play Monopoly now or whatever you play. These are they're scratched in public spaces. They're what you do when you're sitting in the forum, you haven't hang around, you've got nothing else to do. You sit down, the board is scratched into the steps that you're sitting on. They're kind of taking you right into how... Those people idling away their kind of shared assumptions and cliches about living. You're just getting that little tiny glimpse of someone saying, God, you know, hunting, bathing, sex, that's really, that's what I like to do, mate. You know, it's one of these tiny glimpses of popular culture in Rome. But it's good to remember that the poor, the disadvantaged, the sort of average, ordinary person in the Roman Forum I think they had fun, too. I think it's, it's terribly easy if you're a well-meaning liberal historian to imagine that life was just dreadful for the Roman poor. Well, the life was dreadful, but, you know, they had a spark and a spirit, you know, and they thought that there were things you could enjoy about life, too. I love that. I mean, I think that it is very common for modern people to oversimplify ancient Roman life and say, okay, there were two classes of people. There were the wealthy people and then there were the plebs. But there were different classes of people. 
you know, they weren't all slaves or they weren't all suffering constantly. An interesting thing also that I remember learning about the ancient Romans is they spent hardly any time at home. I mean, with the exception of the very, very wealthy people who lived in like palatial, gorgeous, beautiful and comfortable homes. The average person, including, of course, the plebs, they did not spend hardly any time at home because their homes were so unpleasant. And a lot of them spent time just hanging out. They were just kind of chilling out in the forum. That's where people would go. Now, of course, there were many forums in Rome, depending on what period of time you know, as we go into the Roman Empire after Caesar, different forms start popping up all over that area. But, you know, the original was the Foro Romano, where we are right now. And that's where people would flock and spend so much time just sitting around. There was this whole class of people called the clientes. That's where the word client comes from. But it was not how we would sort of think of as a client today, as in like someone who's paying a company or a professional person for a service. It was more like the client was from an inferior social class, not necessarily a pleb, but they were from an inferior social class, but they were not the lowest of the low. And they were given protection by the oligarchs and the more wealthy Roman, the senators, etc. But in return, the clients had to vote for the Roman politician who was their benefactor. So it was like an ancient legal way of literally buying votes. That's probably who these people were. If I had to guess in my limited knowledge, I would say the majority of the people just sitting around in the Roman forum were these, were these clients or these clients. Interesting. Yeah, I would ask Mary Beard about it, but she's already moved on. <laughs> she's already gone. I can't believe it. We missed her. She must have had better things to do. Yes. Well, you know, she is busy. A historian has much work to do. And based on the size of the book she writes, uh, she is thorough. I don't see why she wouldn't want to sit around with us all day, but I understand. I think her point, though, is interesting, too, that we tend to think that, especially when it comes to ancient history, that people who were poor didn't have any joy. And it, of course... Human beings find ways to laugh, even in the worst of circumstances. Yeah, and ways to have fun. Yeah, exactly. If you want to hear more from Mary Beard, check out our episode 132 SPQR. Yes. Last time we did a virtual tour of Rome, we decided to walk Mm -hmm. most of the places we were going. Today, we're going to fly. (laughs) So, do you want to go by plane, by bird wing, by musical interlude? What do you prefer? Yeah, musical interlude. That sounds good. All right, let's go. So where are we now? We are standing right outside of San Clemente Church, one of the most amazing sites in Rome, I think, personally. You've been here, right, Katie? Yes. It's been a while, though. Quite a while. The amazing thing about San Clemente, for those of you who haven't been there, is that it is literally layer upon layer upon layer of history. Um, at first sight, you walk in, it looks like your typical medieval Roman church. And it is a beautiful church dating from the 12th century. But if you go down below, there is a layer underneath it because there was an earlier church that was destroyed during one of Rome's many sacks. I believe it was 1089, uh, the sack of the Normans. 
And that church, when it was destroyed, uh, the church that had been beneath it, which I believe was from the fourth century, that church was, instead of just rebuilding what was left, they just sort of raised it to the ground level that had grown over the years, and they just built a new church on top of it. That already is interesting enough, but that earlier church from the fourth century was built on top of an ancient Roman domus, an ancient Roman home from the first century AD. There is also, right next to that ancient Roman domus, so also in the same area, right underneath that church, was a Mithraeum, an ancient sacred space or temple to the god Mithras. So you start in the church, you're already feeling like you're back in time, you go down, you go further back in time, then you go even further. It is, I gotta say, the closest thing to really feeling like you're stepping back in time. Well, and how much is there to actually see? When you're in the Mithraeum, can you tell that you're in some sort of ancient temple? Or does it just feel like you're in a hole in the ground? A little of both. If you know what you're seeing, if you're with a good tour guide or if you have studied up a little bit, and they do sell some really good visual aids there, I think you can get more of an idea. The Mithraeum itself is, is quite small. You can't actually physically go inside of it. There's a little chain up, but you can look inside of it. And if you know what a Mithraeum looked like, if you've either read about it or had it described to you, yeah, you can see it. There's sort of like these triclinium's, these places that the, the initiates would recline on during their banquet. And then there's the hole in the ceiling where the bull would be slaughtered above and the blood would come down and bathe you know, the initiates in these rituals. And the ceiling was decorated. And, and there was, of course, other iconography. But I think what really gives you the sense is actually the domus, which is much simpler. There's, there's not a lot of decoration, but you go from room to room. It's not like being in Pompeii. That's a different level of preservation, where you've got walls and sometimes second stories above you that are still totally preserved. It's very clear that about half of the space above your head has not been excavated. Or I should probably say that there's the, the church is right above you. So it, it wouldn't have been that small. Like It feels very compact. The ceilings are very low. And the doorways that would have opened onto a beautiful courtyard they are all closed up. And so it, it's not like you're going to get the feeling of being in this ancient domus. But you can get a sense because there's this tiny little street that is between the Mithraeum and the domus. This tiny, tiny little street. I mean, Katie, you can barely walk down it. You could touch easily touch both sides with your hands. A large man would probably touch both shoulders to the walls. It's that narrow. And it really gives you a sense of like of what a dark spooky street, an alleyway would be like in ancient Rome. It just, it really gives you that sense. And there's also a spring under there that is still running. And you can hear the water when you're down there. You can hear the water running. And because I don't go there very often, I always get lost in there. And I, I always am trying to find the source of the spring. And eventually you can find it. But it's, it's, it's like no other place that I've ever been. But what I love most about it is when you go down the staircase from the earlier church, which is sort of the middle level, to the ancient part, the temperature drops as you're walking down. And there's a smell in the air. It's not a good smell, really, but it's not a bad smell either. It's a very specific smell. It's a very dank 
smell like you wouldn't want your basement to smell like this you know there would be a like a warning signal yeah. it would be that spring is just a little too close to your basement <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah but when you go down there you get this sense of like you're really going down into what is now underground which of course in ancient roman times would have been street level but it is now truly underground and you feel it especially if you go in the summer you can really feel the temperature drop and that to me is like that sense of oh my God, I'm going to a different space. I'm going to a different world almost. And I'm not a huge fan of underground places, but that one I love. That's exactly what I was going to ask you, because even though we're taking everybody to, on a tour to see the outside of this church, we weren't really planning on going inside today. In part because, I don't know about you, I mean, like you said, you feel a little, you know, not in love with the underground. I also feel not in love with the underground on a relatively recent trip to Rome. I went to the catacombs and I can't say that I really loved it. It was interesting, but I was certainly ready to not be underground when the tour was over. Hey, Tiffany, look over there. It's Robert McFarlane. You remember Robert McFarlane, the uh, brilliant author of the book Underland, oh which was all about the life underground? What a coincidence to see him here when we were just <laughs> talking about the underground. Well, I mean, it stands to reason, I guess. I, I don't remember him writing about San Clemente in his book Underland, but that certainly doesn't mean he's not still interested in underground places. Robert, remember me? I'm Katie. Hi. Uh, you're the expert, Robert. Why do you think... Tiffany and I don't love being underground. It's not a lovable realm on no. the whole. I mean, that's the, I think people, people are drawn to the mountains because they think that their hearts will rise as they do. And the underworld is, is an aversive space. It's a place of ghosts and death and deprivation and anxiety and darkness, but also darkness. This is the other, one of the other paradoxes of the underworld is often a place of vision. So I think it's that doubleness of, of horror and aversion mixed with wonder and revelation that came to me to be very striking. That's fascinating because I can definitely see the double-sidedness of it, especially when you go to a place like San Clemente or to the catacombs. I personally love ancient underground sites. I don't like being underground as a general rule. If I had a choice to take the metro underground or to take a bus above ground, I'd rather take the bus. I'd rather not put myself underground if I can avoid it. That's not to say I'm afraid of it, but there is a little sense of, like you said, revulsion about it. And I think that that must come somehow from the idea of being buried alive or being underground. Like you're underground when you're dead, right? Traditionally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Robert. I don't want to hold you up anymore while we just sit here and chit chat about the underground. I'm sure you have better things to do. Thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. Nice to see you again. I want to have you on the show sometime again soon. You're really, really fun to have around. Hey, Tiffany, do you want to remind people what episode Robert was on when he joined us the last time? Yes, absolutely. Robert uh, joined us on episode 269, Underland. So check that out and check out his book, Underland, as well. Yes, such a pretty book. So poetically beautiful. Well, since we're not going to go in, mm. even though you've just made a really great case <laughs> for going in, because mm. I wouldn't mind going on that little tiny ancient Roman street, I'm kind of feeling like maybe we should go see some art somewhere. Should we get going? Sure, sure. Should we head over to Tristeve? Yes. How do you want to go this time? Should we go by, by train, plane, 
Musical interlude? Yeah, musical interlude. That's <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> So, Tiffany, before we continue with our tour, let's duck into this bookstore real quick. Oh, great idea. Yeah, I want to tell you about this book I'm reading. I'm reading a book right now called I Had No Idea You Were Black by Ronald Crutcher. He's a black leader that talks about bridging cultural and racial divides by offering up his compelling personal story, which is full of lessons for life. And I thought I'd read you uh, part of what I've been reading lately. Okay. I just have to find it on the shelf here. Hold on a second. I left my copy at the hotel, of course. So, <laughs> In reality, actually, if we may break the fourth wall here. In reality, this book actually isn't in the world yet. It's uh, coming out on February 9th. But our listeners can pre-order it right now by using the link in our show notes. But since we're on a virtual tour of Rome, here it is on the bookshelf. So this is from a section called Being Ready. And it's interesting because a lot of times when people ask me about my radio career... They often uh, ask, like, how did you do it? How did you do it? And basically what I did was, of course, long intern labor so that I was ready when the door finally opened. And this section sort of reminded me of that kind of advice. So this is from Chapter 5, Being Ready. Eight months after beginning the cello, I traveled 35 miles to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, where I would perform two movements from the Bach Cello Suite No. 1 in G at a competition hosted by the Ohio Music Education Association. I was 14 years old, staring at a sea of white faces, and more nervous than I had ever been. I closed my eyes and pictured Pablo Casals performing the suite in front of a medieval church in France. This seemed to help. Calmly, I intoned the wavering opening notes. Had I realized that one of the people in the audience that day would change my life, it is likely I would have been far less relaxed. After I had finished performing both movements, I stood up, bowed, and walked over to my case, preparing to put the instrument away. My father and I were just about to leave when an older woman walked up to congratulate me on my performance. How long have you been playing? she asked. Eight months, I said. Just eight months, she exclaimed. How would you like to take lessons here at the university, at our summer music camp? It strikes me now that this moment, which felt out of the blue at the time, really wasn't. The box suite was a piece I'd selected and taught myself to play specifically for the competition. Something about the undulating contour of the melodic line spoke to me. I'd been practicing it for months. All of that, my feeling for this piece, my determination to communicate what it meant to me, would have come out in my playing. I had prepared, and I was ready. I love that. And that's just the very beginning of this great chapter. Yeah, I love that. I mean, our listeners know that I was a music student myself. It translates to any profession or vocation. The idea that there are these lucky breaks that we get. But the truth is, oftentimes, they're not lucky breaks. There are things that we have prepared for unknowingly. We don't know that they're coming, We, but we can only hope and live in expectation that they will happen for us one day if we put in the hard work Yes. on the, on the other side. Yes. So, well, yeah, that's nice. I like that a lot. Well, the book is I Had No Idea You Were Black, Navigating Race on the Road to Leadership by Ronald Crutcher. You can pre-order it now. There is a link in the show notes. It's a great little book. You should definitely get your hands on it. All right, let's go back to our tour.
you know, Katie, now that we're here, now that we're standing here in Piazza Sant'Egidio, right in front of Museo di Roma in Trastevere, I don't know. I got to tell you, this is like my least favorite museum in the entire city. Me too. Why did you pick this one? Is it? <laughs> yes. I don't know. It, call it a sixth sense. I just had yes. a feeling that this was where we were supposed to go. Do you ever have those sixth sense? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's someone that was, whose path we're destined to cross. Yes. And it was only going to happen here. It is a pretty cool square, too. It's a beautiful, lovely square. Except for the guys with the giant guns. That kind of takes it down a notch. But Yeah. I never have been able to understand what those soldiers are always doing here in this square. I think there must be someone very important who lives or works in here. But Rome is full of so many amazing museums. And... I have, you know, the museum, the Mick cards. I can see a lot of them for free. And this is one of the ones, Museo di Roma in Trastevere, that I can see for free, but I never come here because, Katie, every time I've ever come here, they've had some very modern, very out there photography exhibit. And I always, you know, like a good girl, go and I visit the exhibition and I look at these photographs and... I just hate them. <laughs> I mean, it's like nine, nine times out of 10. There may have been a few exceptions to that, but I feel like I'm always looking at like a photograph that's really grainy and it's like of two people standing by a bed in like an old rundown bedroom. It's just, it's not, I don't know, call me biased, but I just don't, I just don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know. I'm like, could I have taken this photo? Like, this looks like a photo on my phone that my phone accidentally took when I didn't mean to take a photo. And it's up here on a frame and it's part of an exhibit. Why? I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like those exhibits that everybody always jokes about in modern art where it's just one big red square. And you think, well, <laughs> why does he get paid thousands of dollars to paint a red square when, you know, I got a board of a desk I took apart outside in my garage. Why can I not just paint that red and sell it to somebody? Yeah, or like the conceptual art, like the urinal. I mean, who was it who did that? Marcel Duchamp, I think. It's like the urinal. Mm. What are you trying to tell me with that? I don't know. Now that we're here, I'm not, I'm not sure even why I took you here, Katie. Sorry. I think I know when you were saying we were going to accidentally run into somebody. I am sure you were right there because standing right over there is Amy Herman. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite guests so on this excited. show. She's been on multiple times, author of the book Visual Intelligence. She teaches people to be better observers of the world by being better observers of art. Amy, Katie here, Tiffany, you've never met Tiffany, but here she is, Amy, Tiffany. Amy, what do you think about bias when it comes to art? I've been doing a lot of thinking about bias because we're living in this polarized world politically and economically. I was thinking about bias in art when people say, well, I don't get contemporary art. And I said, you know, there's really nothing to get. It's what you see and how you perceive what you're looking at. If you like it or you don't like it, why or why not? What do you think that bias is though? I mean, we're in a polarized world. Why do I have to declare, this is just a big orange square, I hate it. You know, why, why would I even need to say anything like that? Well, I'll give you a visual example that I use in the course that I teach. I put up two paintings, one of George Washington and one of Abraham Lincoln. I ask the class, I say, tell me what you see in these two portraits. And people tell me about presidents and regal, blah, blah, blah. Then I take down George Washington and I put up the formal portrait of Barack Obama. And I watch everyone's face change. And I say to them, 
I don't care whether you liked Barack Obama, you didn't like him, or you were indifferent. Your experience just changed because every one of you in the room lived through the administration of President Obama. And so it changes how you see the portrait of Lincoln, consequently. And so that's how I define bias, when you have a personal experience and it clouds how you see other things. And it seems to work because then I go back to Washington and Lincoln and I say, raise your hand if you live during the administrations of either of these men. And people say, of course not. But when you make it personal, it becomes biased. And so if we try to remove that personal lens and look at things more objectively, I think we have a better chance of coming to the center and having more productive and substantive dialogue. Yeah, that... A much more political answer than I was expecting, but I really like that as a thought. And I especially love this idea, that basic idea at the very beginning. Why do I have to get contemporary art? I love the idea that there's nothing to get. That takes so much pressure off. Yes. Can I ask another question, Tiffany, before we move on from this gallery? Of course. And thank you, Amy. You can move on. I. It's nice to see you here. I, I wasn't expecting to see you in Rome. I usually expect to see you in New York, but... Wonderful to see you. Tiffany, do you, when you go into an art gallery, do you typically read the plaques that are written next to the painting? Um, Say, first? No, I mean, it, de- it really depends. If it's just the title of the painting with the name of the author, I will probably glance at it. If it's a whole bunch of text, I'm probably not going to sit and read the whole thing. But of course, that's going to depend on how interested I am in that particular museum and that particular art. If it's a a gallery with a lot of art from a period that I like, I'll probably take more time. Yes. Well, one of the things I love that I learned from Amy Herman when her and I went and toured around the Whitney together was that if you read the thing first before you even look at the painting, which a lot of people do, they'll read first and then they'll look at the painting, that sometimes what you read will change how you would actually see the picture itself. Oh, for because sure. Because now you're looking for certain clues that the curator has given you. That's so true. Of what this means and how important it is. Yeah. And she suggested you should really look at the painting itself first and then read more about it if you want to. That is very good advice. Because if you see a name that you recognize, you might take a second look and you might give it a bit more attention, not necessarily because you like it more, but just because you feel like you're supposed to give it more attention. And sometimes you find paintings that might not be by the most important artist, but for some reason they speak to you. Yes. And Amy has been on multiple episodes, so can you even say which one she was on? So Amy has been on four episodes, episode 115, Visual, episode 239, Notice, Episode 253, Perception, and Episode 255, Awareness. And if you're interested in art, art history, and also just the idea of awareness in general, you should really check out those episodes because they're fascinating. Yeah, I mean, she really changed the entire way I move around the world. She's really basically trying to make you look up from your phone and actually see what's happening around you. And she does it by having you look at fine art. It's fascinating. It's really brilliant. Well, personally, just like you, I really don't like this museum. Let's get out of here. 
I'm kind of hungry. Let's get out of here. Let's go for lunch. Is there anywhere good to eat around here? Yeah, one of my favorite restaurants. Yeah, can we just walk somewhere? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite restaurants is just down the street, Taverna Trilusa. Okay, great. Let's go there. Let's go get some ravioli. So, Tiffany, I don't really want this tour to end. Oh, everyone says that to me every time I give them a tour, Katie. I know. <laughs> We've got to drag it out, don't you think? <laughs> so rather than finish the tour today, we're going to go on the second half of this tour on Thursday. Hmm. That way we can look forward to walking in Rome all week long. Great idea. Yeah. So we're going to leave it there. Tune in Thursday for the second half of this tour where we will uh, be running into a couple other very impressive people. Just accidentally, <laughs> who just happened to be in Rome right now. <laughs> what are the odds? And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Barks. Join us again. Bye. Need more show? Bonus episodes are released every single month at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get to hear even more. You'll find a link in the show notes. And if you jump on board at the $50 level, you get to dictate what topic we cover. For example, one Patreon subscriber had us do an entire show on cuteness. Become the director for $50 a month and support the show you love at the same time. Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and we'll talk to you next week.